Hello, folks. Welcome to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis, and I'm here today with Sarah Bowder, who is with SDSU Extension and has a knack for cover crops. So, Sarah, well, thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, visit with us here today. And I guess what I'd like to start off with is uh, last year was obviously the first year many people were introduced to cover crops and not really so much by choice, but more by the force of nature, huh? Definitely. Yep. So last year being in a lot of the counties in South Dakota, one of the wettest years on record, which I think most people are aware of, (laughs) but I was actually looking at those statistics today and it truly was um, the 125th wettest out of 125 years in a lot of eastern and southeastern South Dakota. And like you said, that drove a lot of people to think out of the box and outside of their typical crop rotation, um, whether that be corn, soybean, or even if they had small grains or, you know, three or four crops in their rotation and they just couldn't get anything in, um, we had a lot of interest in cover crops, which have actually been around for hundreds of years, but kind of have made a comeback in the last 10. And last year really did help to get people thinking that maybe this could be a tool they use not only on a wet year, but on a normal year that could fit into their crop rotation and and help them um, build their soil health. And also in a lot of cases, when we're getting people started with cover crops, they're interested in the forage and livestock portion. And that's really the focus that I'd like to look at right now is if we are a cattle producer that's looking for ways to get more forage off of a certain piece of ground, what are some things we need to keep in mind if we're thinking that cover crops might be part of the answer to that question? So the first thing to remember is that cover crops are a tool. Uh, They're not necessarily an end-all, fix-all like most things, you know, we have in agriculture production. There's never that golden key that's going to fix everything, but they can be a great tool when we talk about adding forage to a rotation. And even if we're talking about a farmer who just has a small herd of cattle um, and maybe livestock isn't, you know, their number one priority, even in that situation, um, cover crops can really help to just add some forage on, on tough years or on a normal year. So when we first start thinking, okay, I want to add forage, the number one thing is that we have to manage for this forage. So even though it's a cover crop and it's typically going to be an annual, not a perennial, we still have to manage it as if it's an important forage crop, just like we manage our pastures or hopefully managing our pastures in a way that, um, you know, gives us the best production, but keeps our, our grasses and our soils healthy. So that's one of the number one things um, and making sure you understand what species are going to help you um, you know, achieve your goals. So we really want to make sure we have a an end in mind goal of what we want to do. And then we can go from there and helping the producer achieve, you know, the results they would like to see, or at least get started going down that road. Um, so I always encourage people, if they have no experience with cover crops and they're interested in something like this, to talk to their local NRCS office or come talk to us at Extension because we're happy to help get that process started. Um, And usually species selection is one of the most difficult things that people run into because there are lots of species on the market in annual cover crops. And we hear of mixes, you know, from high and low, there's all different types of mixes depending on your goals. So that can be confusing for a lot of producers. So maybe delve into some examples here of uh, things that might be real world things for certain people. Let's say uh, you have somebody that feeds their cows silage in the winter so they have a little bit of that silage ground 
what would be something that they may be able to utilize from a cover crop standpoint on that same piece of ground? Right. So that's a perfect example. Um, Silage is a great time. Another example would be small grains. If you grow small grains, getting a cover crop in behind them um, is also an easy way to get a forage in. And one more thing we can talk about is full season grazing too. There are people that put in a full season mix, meaning it's probably a warm and cool season crop mix that they'll plant in the spring or in the summer if it's just warm seasons, and they'll use it for grazing all year. Maybe it's on a piece of marginal land that they're tired of fighting, um, and they just want to try to graze it instead of um, traditionally, you know, row crop farm it. So any of those situations give us a nice opening. Basically what we need that we lack in South Dakota is more growing season for something like this. So like you said, if we're cutting silage, that opens up that window a lot earlier and we can get our cover crop in sooner. And it depends on our crop rotation. Let's say it's a corn soybean rotation and the producer's cutting silage. You can go in immediately after silage or even before, depending on the risk you wanna take um, as far as seeding goes. And we can drill in, or if you go in before you cut that silage, you could aerial seed. Um, but I will add that, that does add some risk because of course, if we're just dropping the seed on the ground, it depends on the rain and the weather. Um, but if we wanna take a, a for sure route out, we can go in behind and add um, a grass cover crop would be ideal in that situation if our next crop is going to be soybeans. So we always want to keep our crop rotation in mind. But this kind of helps diversify things. And in this case, we're adding it toward the end of the season and it's starting to cool off um, at silage cutting time. So we would add a cool season grass like rye, oats, barley, triticale, something to that effect, or a mix of those grasses. And it depends on if we want it to winter kill or come back up in the fall, or excuse me, in the spring. So if we want the crop to winter kill, um, oats might be great, uh, barley might be another good one. But if we want to see it come up in the fall and then come up in the spring again, maybe we want to graze it in the spring, winter rye would be a great hardy option that tends to be pretty winter hardy and pretty tough. Um, winter, we, winter wheat is also a good option too. Um, maybe not quite as winter hardy as rye, but it can take quite a bit and is nice because we can see it come up in the fall and then we'll know, hopefully, um, that we'll have a crop in the spring too. So those are some pretty realistic options we see a lot of producers interested in. Um, those cool season grasses are typically fairly easy to get a hold of. And um, as long as we're planting them directly into the soil and not relying on aerial seeding, although some producers do rely on that and have great luck, um, but if you know you're drilling them in, typically with flooding aside, um, you will have you know a sand come up for you, and that gives it some opportunity to grow. And then in the late fall, winter time frame, you'd have something there to graze or bale, um, or like I said, you could wait till the following spring if you planted a winter crop. And so in this situation, what would you consider to be a realistic yield for someone to, uh, I wouldn't say depend on, obviously, because we can never depend on anything for forage with our, our weather here in this state, but uh, to at least kind of have in the back of their mind? Yeah, you know, it really, it's an extremely dependent yield. Um, I know that's like the ultimate answer, right? It depends. Yeah, it depends. But it it really can depend. Like we'll see... Um, warm season grasses, for example, sometimes we can see four to five ton out there, but sometimes if the temperatures don't cooperate, we'll see a half ton. 
Um, and cool season grasses, you know, the same thing can happen. Grasses can do super well, and we can see several ton out there. Or if it's a really tough year and we don't get it in soon enough, for example, you know, we could see down to that half one ton per acre. So it it really does depend. If we just did brassicas, for example, which would be like your radish, rapeseed, turnips, those type of things. I mean, I don't typically recommend a straight brassica mix, but just for example, they can yield as low as a half ton. So it really just depends on what species are out there and, you know, how well the year treats you, essentially. But I will say on quality, um, it depends on what kind of critters you've got and what you'd like you know, to see out of your forage, typically those cool season mixes, um, like the grasses that, you know, I was mentioning, they have pretty high crude protein um, and very high RFD usually. The relative feed value is usually pretty good. Um, we see moderate production compared to our warmer season grasses. And just to put that into perspective, corn is a warm season grass. Um, sorghum sedan grass, that's a warm season grass is that your cool season grasses are not typically going to be as high producing as far as tonnage goes as your warm season grasses or just cool season cover crops in a mix versus warm season grasses. Um, but the advantage of those cool season mixtures, whether that's grasses, broadleaves, or both, is that typically they have a little higher quality. We see higher crude protein, um, very high RFV value usually, and um, they peak later in the season. So it depends on when you want that forage as well. But if you're interested in grazing, you know, it's nice fall winter grazing with a cool season mix versus a warm season would happen earlier in the summer. Um, so if it's a beef producer looking for tonnage, they might want to consider a warm season grass uh, because we'll have a little higher tonnage with a little lower quality. But if it's someone looking for pretty high quality feed, then a cool season mix might be more appropriate. Uh, but in a lot of cases, it's just whatever we can fit into our crop rotation simply because of our short growing season. Sure. And now I think uh, for some people, they're going to ask the question that comes up uh, when we run livestock onto fields that we pro predominantly look at making our money off of them as far as row crop production. What about compaction? Is that something mm -hmm. people need to keep in mind? So this is the key question we get from a lot of people. It's a great question, Jake. Um, and so compaction actually from hoof action is typically very minimal in the traditional sense that we think of compaction. You do a lot more damage out there with your grain cart and your combine than these critters are going to do. Um, if we have a well-adjusted system and it follows the five principles of soil health or you're working on that, which essentially, um, I'll just, it's kind of interesting to think about. The principles of soil health are soil armor, meaning keeping, it, keeping the soil covered, uh, minimizing your soil disturbance, so no-till and using things like cover crops, plant diversity, keeping a living root, and the fifth one is livestock integration. So if we're able to achieve some or all of those, over a period of time, the longer we do those things, the less and less effects we see from hoof action and the more um, structure our soil tends to have. It'll have improved structure because we've allowed those roots to create a natural structure. So if you think about your lawn, 
Um, that's usually the easiest way to phrase this. After it rains an inch or any time in 2019 in this part of the world, mm-hmm. you probably could have driven on your lawn and left minimal tracks. But if you went out to a tilled field, you'd sink right in. So because of that increased soil health, we're able to see the hoof action of the cattle really do very minimal um, damage. And honestly, even in systems where we don't have those five principles built up, that hoof action really doesn't cause a lot of compaction um, as it's perceived because we can see it sometimes. But if we keep a living root on the soil, typically whatever um, ruts those cattle have caused, or I shouldn't say ruts, but the, the divots from their hooves um, is a lot of times recovered just from having plants growing out there and using things like radishes and turnips to help break up some of our compaction layers. Um, so it's typically not as big of an issue as people perceive. Now, if it's last year and it's rained five inches, for example, you know, in a week, of course, you're going to see some mudding um, and some issues out there. But sometimes you just have to make that decision. Uh, what's it worth to you? You know, is the feed worth it to you to have some of these issues with the field being rough? Or would you rather wait, let it dry a little bit, and then let your cattle out there? Sure. And maybe part of that too is also where water sources are at or any other areas where cattle are congregating. Definitely. Yep. Around, you know, if you're going to assume that if it's a very wet year and, and we've got a lot of mud, around your water sources, maybe in those corners where they um, like to stand to get out of the wind, where there's shelter belts, that kind of thing. Um, But typically, it's not as big of an issue as it's perceived to be, um, especially because when we have something growing out in the field, it really protects that from happening, just like your lawn protects, you know, from getting divots in it when you drive on it or, or walk on it when it's really wet. Sure thing. So one more question here. Uh, there may be some livestock producers out there that would like the opportunity to get into uh, using more cover crops, but are limited mostly on the amount of land that they can plant them on. Are anyone Is anyone trying arrangements to which they work with somebody who has a standing crop in the field and arrange to try to, uh, could you say, uh, rent the ground for the cover crop following the uh, sta- uh, standing crop uh, out there, be it corn or soybeans or whatnot? Yes, this is actually getting more and more popular. So we've got um, some producers in the state that don't have livestock um, and they just, you know, farm row crops or maybe they have some small grains and they have an opportunity there. Maybe it's following soybeans, you know, following silage or a small grain to get a cover crop in and their neighbor who's really looking for forage And we've had this discussion before, you know, the feed in this area has not been great um, just due to the weather in in part for the last couple of years. And so it's either been poor quality or people haven't been able to get a hold of enough of it without, you know, buying it and supplementing. So it's become um, more and more popular to try to make a share agreement or some kind of rental agreement with your neighbor Um, to be able to graze their acres. And in some cases, maybe you're buying the seed and you're grazing the acres. Um, And maybe in other cases, the landlord or the person that owns the ground really sees the benefit in having the cover crops and asks you not to graze them to the ground so that they still receive some benefit. And I should mention that that's called the take half, leave half approach. We typically um, really suggest to people that when we plant an annual forage like this, we want to 
graze about half of it. So your soil is still benefiting. You're not um, grazing it to the ground and going to have erosion all winter long, but your cattle are still getting great forage off of it. And if we rotational graze, of course, we can increase that and maybe get over it twice if it's a warm season, full season cover crop. So that's definitely happening. And I will mention a tool. I'll put a plug in for the South Dakota Grazing Exchange. Uh, the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition started this website and it's actually designed for this exact thing. So if you own acres that you would be interested in having someone potentially graze, or if you are looking for acres to graze, you can go to sdgrazingexchange.com, and it's totally free. You can advertise or seek people who are looking in South Dakota and the surrounding area for acres to graze or vice versa. So that's been a great tool um, and is gaining traction for sure. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you for all the information, Sarah. And I guess I do have one more question for you, more of a fun one. If you had to pick a favorite cover crop, what would it be? Mm, this is a great question. I would say, um, I think my favorite cover crop is crimson clover, not because it, it doesn't always come up very well, but because it definitely has the prettiest flowering head and people love it and don't think it's a cover crop. They think it's a flower. So there you go. I think crimson clover, you know, but from an agronomic perspective, probably winter rye. It's pretty hard to uh, kill and producers really like it. So they probably don't care about the pretty one, but that's great. <laughs> Well, that's okay. <laughs> but hey, thank you very much for your commentary and thanks for stopping by today. Thank you. And to all you listeners out there, thank you very much for taking a listen to what we have to say today. And y'all take care now.